0: Hello and welcome to the Polemical History Podcast, where we discuss history that borders on taboo. This is Tim Rudy. And this is Anthony Blackwell. And today, given the historical context of discrimination
1: against the Irish in America, we're going to talk about the ethnic or racial fighting Irish stereotype exemplified by the University of Notre Dame's collegiate football slogan and leprechaun mascot. By the way, did you know that the word slogan comes from the Gaelic Sluagarum, meaning war cry or battle cry? Anyway, joining us today in the PHP studio is Evelyn Kavanagh, another member of our extended polemical family. Welcome, Evelyn. Wrote,
2: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, welcome, Evelyn. It's uh, it's crazy. I'm surra- I'm surrounded by Irish people right now. <laughs>
1: Kavanagh of Kilkenny.
2: You're very lucky to be surrounded by Irish people, Jim. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what brings you to Marseille, Evelyn?
2: What brings me to Marseille? Um, I guess I just kind of... I did a I did an internship here um at the end of twenty nineteen. Um and just kind of fell in love with that. It. it was supposed to be like a three month thing. Um and I just found it really interesting. Um and came back and now I'm an English teacher, which is working well so far. No complaints. Um uh, but yeah, it's always good to have some Irish connections, even though you're far from home for sure.
0: Yeah, the Irish take care of their own, would you say?
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> I would say that. No, I do think that um, no matter where you are in the world, um, I feel like Irish communities do look after their own, for sure, whether that's in the States or elsewhere.
0: Americans are the opposite. I think we try to avoid each other while we're traveling. <laughs> we're like, oh, God, I left America so that I wouldn't see Americans, <laughs> actually.
2: How was your
1: experience being an Irish woman in Marseille?
2: Um, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I'm not sure. I feel like people kind of hear you speak in English and they're like, oh, you're English or oh, you're American. And then if you say you're Irish, they're like, oh, Oh, I've been, like, so many French people love Ireland. Like, they're obsessed with, like, river dance, and they're like, I went on this road trip, or they love Guinness. So I definitely feel like they're, like, we're welcomed here.
1: Whenever I'm out with uh, Tim or other Americans in France, and I say I'm from Ireland, I get an excited response. But as soon as they say they're from California, nobody pays me any attention. Because you're not as exotic. I'm not as exciting as someone from L.A
2: exotic tim
0: (laughs) yeah that makes sense Uh, sense.
2: (laughs) okay so um, among the questions we're going to discuss today are whether this slogan perpetuates a negative stereotype of the irish as violent and belligerent or celebrates the positive stereotype of the irish as possessing an indomitable spirit whether the fighting irish symbolism given the historical treatment of irish people in america is a form of cultural imperialism
0: Trademarks, logos, and mascots are potent symbols and images that contain many layers of meaning that are meant to convey cultural values. Given this power in conveying cultural values, some of America's most loved trademarks have powerful connotations. Despite the end of the historical period associated with imperialism, colonial imagery is still prominent in American culture, particularly in athletics, where the exotic and inferior other becomes a mascot. The fact that these are linked with athletics does not diminish their significance or power. Athletics, particularly at the collegiate level, play a powerful role in disseminating and expressing cultural values and norms. In
1: recent years, we've seen, not only across the United States, but elsewhere in the world too, a concerted social justice movement challenging the traditional ways of memorializing the past. Some notable examples of this have been the removal of the Confederate flag from NASCAR to statues of figures like Christopher Columbus being toppled from their plinths. In 2016, the University of North Dakota's ice hockey team, the Fighting Sioux, became the Fighting Hawks. And in 2019, the Cleveland Indians abandoned their Chief Wahoo logo, which had been criticized as early as the 1970s by Native Americans, who found it analogous to the blatantly racist depictions of African Americans in the days of segregation. In the NFL, too, the Washington Redskins are presently debating rebranding, And in Major League Baseball, after the death of icon Hank the Hammer Baron, the Atlanta Braves are coming under increasing
0: pressure to honor him by changing the team's name to the Hammers. Interestingly, on the subject of the Confederate flag, did you know that during post-Civil War Reconstruction, relics of Confederate culture were treated as contraband articles? In time, however, Confederate artifacts were slowly incorporated into everyday life and culture in the South. And it was college football, which was one of the means by which the battle flag evolved into a pop culture symbol. In 1926, in an expression of Southern victory, the University of Alabama students and fans hung Confederate flags on lampposts in Tuscaloosa to celebrate the football team's victory over the University of Washington. Schools like the University of Virginia and the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill followed suit, adopting the Confederate battle flag as their own battle flags at football games. Even as late as 1948, college students gathered at the States' Rights Democratic Party Convention bearing Confederate battle flags and singing Dixie. For many students, the flag represented states' rights and Southern culture, while for black citizens, the resurgence of the flag represented something more sinister, the resistance against the civil rights movement and desegregation. While many other colleges and universities employ mascots and logos
1: that are reflective of groups of people, such as the Vikings, Vandals, Norsemen, Spartans, and Trojans. All of these are considered to be extinct and have no history of discrimination in the United States. Additionally, the United States Census Bureau doesn't officially recognize these ethnic groups in their classification of ancestry. On the other hand, the University of Notre Dame mascot represents a group of people who are still alive and present in both their native country as well as America, and have been the subject of historic discrimination in the country in which the mascot is presented. The life of early Irish Americans wasn't all that different from their experience in Ireland, from which they had fled caste oppression. Penal laws in the 18th century prevented Irish Catholics from voting, serving in Parliament, holding any public office, living within the limits of incorporated towns, practising law, serving in the military, or any civil service roles, teaching in public schools and owning or selling arms intermarriage between catholics and protestants was strongly discouraged and to do so meant that a protestant would lose civil rights or their inheritance
0: do you guys remember the movie rudy yeah well uh, my last name is rudy so that movie was pretty popular in my family uh I think my dad's side of the family got passed around quite a bit. Um, it's a great underdog story. If you love a good underdog story, that's definitely one to see. What yeah. is it?
2: I've, I don't know what it is at
0: all. Uh, it's a story about um, a young up-and-coming football player. Uh, comes from a, a part of America where football is like some sort of religion. Uh, but he's not quite cut out for it. Uh, he's an unlikely star, uh, but he really keeps his nose to the grindstone. And uh, in the end, he, he pulls it out. When did I come out the early 90s? Yeah, I think early 90s. Yeah. 90, 93, I think.
1: Before my time,
0: oh. 93.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no way, you were born in 93? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was 10. <laughs> and in the movie, Rudy, the titular character, not Tim here, he's told he's too small to play for the Fighting Irish, but he refuses to take no for an answer. And in this sense, he represents those qualities that the name Fighting Irish is supposed to, or at least allegedly represents.
2: After high school, I'm going to play football at Notre Dame chasing a stupid dream causes nothing but you and everyone around you heartache ever since i was a kid i wanted to go to school here and ever since i was a kid everybody said it couldn't be done i always listened to them and believe what they said i don't want to do that anymore
0: hey kid
2: not supposed to be here
0: not everyone is meant to go to college
2: I need your help. Why should I help? I just want to be a part of this university. The are
1: nuts.
0: Yeah, a lot of people have been telling me that
1: lately. All right. Well, this controversy uh, about the Notre Dame Fighting Irish uh, slogan and mascot was given new life in 2018 when boxing commentator and co-host of ESPN's first take, Max Kellerman, commenting about the Cleveland Indians getting rid of their chief Wahoo logo, called out Notre Dame for its, quote, pernicious negative stereotype, end quote, of the Irish.
0: And as to the argument, kind of when is enough or when does it end, my friend Brian Kenny, Stephen A., our colleague and and good friend from ESPN, now on MLB Network, was tweeting about this last night, and someone asked him about what about the fighting Irish? Brian is Irish American. His father, Charlie Kenny, the late, great Charlie Kenny, bog farmer from Ireland, that's where his people are from, walked the beat in Queens as a cop once he got to this country, was asked about the fighting Irish and the leprechaun logo. And many Irish Americans are not offended, but many are. And should that also change? You answer. The answer that. is, the answer is. Yes, oh unequivocally, gosh. yes. Pernicious, negative stereotypes of marginalized people that offend, even some among them, should be changed. It's well, not that hard.
1: Were you aware of this
0: controversy uh, in 2018 or even before? No, I wasn't aware. For the Fighting Irish, that that would be a, a problematic mascot. Um, I I am aware that the Stanford football team, the University of Stanford, uh, close to where I grew up. Uh, They used to be the Stanford Indians, and they changed it to the Stanford Cardinal. So not the Cardinals like the bird, but Cardinal as in the color. Um, But yeah, the Fighting Irish, I guess that doesn't really... When I hear Fighting Irish, I don't think of like drunken bar fight. You know, I think of uh, like fighting to win, fighting the good fight, something like that. Not
1: fighting your spouse.
2: (laughs) 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 No, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. And I think when you're talking about things that are connected with like the color of someone's skin, when you're talking about like the red skins, it's definitely more obviously something that's racial but when you're talking about maybe Irish because we are like a white population it maybe doesn't when you're just saying the fighting Irish it might necessarily seem like something is not very PC or it's seen at like from an Irish perspective that it could be something that we view as as racist maybe it's
1: not surprising that the that the debate was given new life in 2018 because we're much more sensitive culturally to these issues now and maybe previously it didn't bother as many people. Um, I remember being quite proud of the fact that there was a football team called the Irish and, uh, you know, that pugilistic leprechaun.
0: Yeah, he looks cool, I think.
1: What I'm going to say right now is I think I'm going to talk about the slogan Fighting Irish on the one hand, and then consider maybe the use of the the leprechaun mascot on the other hand, because I think, uh, personally... As you'll see, I'm, I'm not offended by the fighting Irish uh, reputation and the name fighting Irish. I think there is a case, maybe, for saying that the, uh, the leprechaun is a pernicious, might be a bit strong, but a negative stereotype of the Irish. But ultimately, I don't care enough mm-hmm. <laughs> to have any really strong feelings about it. But... That's my approach. What about you guys? Do you have any like good feelings about it, one way or the other, that maybe we can revisit at the end?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I think for me, I haven't really given it too much thought in terms of, like, I feel like when people think of Ireland and those kind of cliche things, they think of like a leprechaun or a shamrock. Like they're just those kind of buzzwords a little bit, and I feel like that's maybe why they went with a leprechaun as their little emblem or their. Their mascot um rather than like a shamrock or something, but um I don't know. I haven't really given it too much thought. It's not something off the bat that would offend me too much um and like you say, it's probably something that's come to light in the last couple of years where people are more sensitive to the way they're perceived um and that kind of thing. What do you think
0: um I don't know about the fighting Irish but I can tell you uh, a little bit later I'm definitely going to say some stuff that's going to offend you guys. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get <laughs> like, very polemical. Like normal or worse than normal? Though. Okay, tr- like tr- uh, worse than normal. <laughs> All right, trigger warning. But I
1: think it's I think it's interesting that you mentioned the color of uh of of say the Native American skin, okay? Like taking issue with something like that that's a, that's perhaps a, a separate category. Um I think it's Interesting that the Cleveland Indians didn't change their name, only the mascot. Um, They saw nothing wrong, I don't think, with calling the team the Cleveland Indians. I mean, what's wrong with that? But Mm -hmm. the mascot was derogatory. It was Mm -hmm. like a stereotypical cigar-smoking Indian image. Um, Whereas the Fighting Sioux changed the object in their name to a hawk because it seemed to attribute that the Sioux were characterized by this uh, violent Mm kind of nature. Which is interesting because, I mean, the the Irish here are being called the Fighting Irish mm-hmm. too. So it's interesting.
0: But, I mean, the key difference there is that the, the Irish weren't uh, invaded and displaced by the Americans, I guess, right? That's the Fighting Sioux. Immediately people are like, okay, fighting. Okay, so savages, uh, mm-hmm. colonization, yeah. like brings back bad memories, I think. Yeah, true.
2: That's interesting. If there was like a team like that in Britain or the UK that had something it.
1: <laughs> It seems to be like an American tendency, though, to name teams like this. I never encountered yeah. team names in many sports quite like as in America, you know, when. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, we have team names um, and also teams can move. Right. You guys, uh, I don't think a football club in Ireland can just up and move to another city, can they? Have
1: they?
2: No, I didn't even think. I didn't know that like, that could happen the what it happens
0: in the United States or, all the time.
2: What, what is that like a money thing or?
0: Yeah, just to make more money, new market.
1: Um, Okay, well, perhaps it's helpful to distinguish, or let's start by distinguishing between the moniker and the mascot. Um, So let's start with the moniker. How did Notre Dame become the fighting Irish in the first place? Um, Context is everything. So although the abuse suffered by the Irish in the US in the era of intense anti-Catholic rhetoric and no Irish need apply, can in no way compare to the devastation inflicted on the Native Americans, as you suggested, Tim, for centuries. The Fighting Irish stereotype was one that evolved at a time when Irish immigrants to the US were regarded as bawdy drunks, fighting amongst each other in the lower rungs of society. According to the university website, the Fighting Irish nickname was first coined for the Irish immigrant soldiers who fought for the Union during the Civil War in what became called the Irish Brigade. And the... uh the university has a valid claim to the nickname because of the brigade's beloved chaplain, um, Reverend William Corby, who later became the third president of the university. Uh, you know a little bit, Tim, about the role of the Irish in the Civil War, don't you? Uh,
0: in the Civil War, not I'm not an expert on their role in the Civil War, um, but the Irish, uh, starting around the Mexican-American War, they were... Um, I guess you could say, a really key part of the American military starting from then on and in every war since then, um, which I'll get into a little bit later, how that actually helped the Irish's status in America. Um, I have a lot about how the Irish in America came, uh, you know, very in, by very, very modest means, often in indentured servitude, um, like many other immigrants for that matter. They weren't unique in that way. Uh, but the Irish started very, very low uh, on the on the food chain, I guess you could say, on on the in terms of class level in society in America. Um, but were one of the few groups of people that actually succeeded um, in rising to the very top, and I'll get into that later. Um, and you know, being in the military was a huge part of that rise. So, um, so yeah, I can definitely confirm that the Irish, um, starting around the Mexican American War were considered uh, some of the best soldiers, some of the most important soldiers um, in the American military. In fact, the Irish had been fighting in the U.S.
1: and uh, British North America all the way back to the mid-1600s. Irish involvement only heightened with the American Revolution. Uh, You had Irish fighting for the Patriotic Continental Army, but at the same time you also had Irish fighting for uh, the British too, against that Continental Army. Um, Later in the 1800s, when massive numbers of Irish came to the United States, as we'll see, um, at least two hundred thousand Irish-born soldiers, Irish-born soldiers, served in the American Civil War. Um, the majority on the side of the Union. Um, however, twenty thousand also fought for the Confederacy. Um, in these years, also in the nineteenth century, many members of nationalist organisations like Young Ireland, the Fenian Brotherhood, the Irish Republican Brotherhood, and later de Gael, lived in the United States, where they had a popular following too. I think also in the Texas Revolution. Uh, 100, at least 100 of Sam Houston's 910 soldiers at the Battle of San Jacinto uh, were Irish-born. And uh, I think 15 of those who died at the Alamo were were also Irish-born. In fact, Sam Houston was of Irish stock too. I think he had Irish parents or grandparents, Scots-Irish. Actually, come to think of it, back in 2014, when I was living in Ho Chi Minh City in, in, in Vietnam, uh, I met a young guy um, called Sonny Crockett. Uh, a lovely guy, modest guy, but he claimed to be a direct descendant of Davy Crockett, or at least a descendant of Davy Crockett. And I recall uh, partying with him uh, uh, a number of times in Saigon and uh, riding around town on our on our motorbikes with the the rest of the expat community.
0: Do you think this has something to do with um, the way the Irish lived in Ireland before immigration? Was it something about the Irish native culture? in ireland that led them to be decent soldiers you know or very very good soldiers in fact i think the the irish
1: from everything i've read or learned the irish have had a strong martial tradition especially among the diaspora so i mean we were trying to keep the conversation more focused on the united states or north america today however um the irish were greatly involved in the armies of spain and the armies of france and the armies of britain uh even in the russian army and the swedish army uh you have in the papal army i mean you have the the irish are everywhere as soldiers they get around everywhere and often they fight on opposite sides of these conflicts and i think this involvement really stems from the um the early uh 17th century uh when the irish chieftains like i mentioned in previous episodes i think went abroad and you also had the flight of um well that was the flight of the earls, and then you had the wild geese um, and the most notable member of that community of so- expat soldiers was Owen Roe O'Neill, um, who even returned to Ireland to fight against Cromwell and died under my- mysterious circumstances. So he had this long tradition of Irish, uh, this this long Irish military tradition. Um, and then in the United States, uh, there were Irish fighting for the Mexicans too in that war that you mentioned. You had Irish fighting for Argentina, Paraguay, Chile, Peru, Canada also so you know they get around and I think at this time um, they were they were known as revolutionaries the Irish already before the 19th century before that mass immigration of uh, of Catholic um, uh, famine victims the Irish also had quite a high level of popularity but there were different types of immigrants they were the more kind of attractive immigrants they were the Scots-Irish who were Presbyterian or Protestant and were quite well-to-do or they were well to do Catholics. And then after, I think, the famine, you got this influx of uh, poor, quote unquote, peasants um, very much well, at the lower rungs of society. Uh,
0: actually, I found, I, I did uh, find um, what you just said to be true in my research too, but I also found um, that the Irish uh, early on, most of the Irish immigrants to America were actually Protestant pre famine. So pre famine, Irish immigrants were mostly Protestant, um, but they actually weren't all known to be well-to-do, as far as I read. I also saw that they were um, famous or infamous, depending on your point of view, for helping build the Erie Canal. So I say, you know, why would you be be infamous for that? Um, Well, if you were from the elite American class, um, the Irish might have been seen as infamous because they were known as some of the toughest workers, some of the hardest-working guys, but also um, when they weren't paid, which was very often, we're talking uh, early 1800s here, um, when their wages were severely delayed, or if the contractor just said, "Hey, listen, guys, I I don't have the money, uh, get out of here," the Irish were known for um, fighting back. You know, and whereas whereas many men would kind of maybe bite the bullet and move on, the Irish would get together and they would sometimes they would get some gunpowder and some guns, or they would yeah, you know yeah. find a way to to get paid by force.
1: That makes sense. I mean, when they were building the transcontinental railway, the Irish had a great reputation of of as workers and the Chinese, uh, but the um the owners of the railway frequently preferred the Chinese and wanted to get the Irish out because the Irish would go and strike a lot and they wouldn't uh they wouldn't stand for their bad treatment or poor treatment.
0: I don't know. Are the Irish known as uh do you guys see yourselves as hard workers uh in Ireland or do you not really pride yourselves on that mostly you pride yourselves on like uh what, like a Eurovision contest or something? <laughs>
2: the Eurovision i don't know anthony i like you probably haven't worked in ireland in a in a while when's the last time that you were working Uh, in ireland
1: um i left ireland in 2008 just um at the the beginning of that recession recession, but i i didn't leave for that reason i Mm. left just before i I left because you wanted to travel i wanted i wanted to travel and you know my my path led elsewhere you know yeah
2: it's interesting, I feel like I worked in Dublin for three years and it was a very international workspace. So they were definitely hiring people for like language capabilities and that kind of thing. And I don't think there was ever a question of like the Irish people work harder than others. But I do think there is a stereotype of... Um, uh, like around the time of the recession or even before, like a lot of people from Eastern Europe came, um, like anyone kind of like Romanian, like Polish people, and they have a reputation of being really hard workers. Um, like I worked in restaurants with them and they were really, really hard workers that they'd nearly put you to shame. So I'm not even sure. I, I think
1: part of it is, I mean, when, when you need the work, I mean, because the Irish at this time that we're talking about in the 19th century, I mean... The, the their experience was horrible they needed to the work yeah, maybe and they, it's the
2: question of being an immigrant yeah you know that you're trying to like prove your place or or that kind of thing and get as a as a people like abroad trying to be you yeah. know get a good reputation and be hireable
1: yeah i miss i mistrust these sort of genetic arguments as if one people are i mean there are trends of course but one type of people are more hard-working than another i think I don't know. I think it's a slippery slope, that type of reasoning.
0: Yeah, I think you're onto something with the immigration thing. Like, uh, it's a known fact in America. It's not an opinion. It's just a fact that uh, immigrants and the children of Im- immigrants, the first, uh, well, I guess that would be second-generation immigrants, um, they just accomplish more than the third, fourth, fifth, sixth. They have, um, you know, on average, they get more diplomas. They start more companies. They just work harder, kind of. That's a known fact in America. But so, this stereotype of fighting Irish does not come from uh, this idea of hardworking Irish. It does. Can you confirm historically that this uh, fighting Irish mascot comes from uh, Irish soldiers then?
1: Well, no. Another story suggests that the name was born as far back as 1899 when the Northwestern Wildcats were being defeated by Notre Dame 5 0. And the Wildcat fans allegedly chanted, kill the fighting Irish, kill the fighting Irish, as the second half started. And at the time, anti-Catholicism and anti-immigrant sentiments were openly expressed in the United States. Since Notre Dame was largely populated by ethnic Catholics, mostly Irish, but also Germans, Italians and Poles, um, the university was a natural target for ethnic slurs. And yet another story suggests that the first use of the nickname may have been in 1909, when legend says that a player's speech at the halftime of a football game against Michigan inspired a furious comeback he reportedly yelled to his teammates what's the matter with you guys you're all irish and you're not fighting we're the lick um i love the way they spoke back then we the lick you okay, so some al capone <laughs> and according to com, notre dame once competed under the name catholics before becoming the rovers or ramblers because of their love of traveling far and wide for games at a time when this was rarely done and this was the nut Rockney era um the legendary notre dame coach um whose career is fascinating, um, when the Notre Dame football team first uh, put the small private school on the national map. A natural salesman, Rockney, hired student press agents to tell the team's story. Some of them began by using the Fighting Irish nickname to characterize the underdog tenacity of his teams. They found a way to turn the derisive taunt with its suggestion of drunken brawling into an expression of triumph. Um, only after future president of Ireland, Eamon de Valera, barnstorming for American support for the Irish War of Independence, was welcomed as a hero at Notre Dame in 1919, the fighting Irish nickname gained real traction. Murray Sperber, in his definitive Shake Down to Thunder, the creation of Notre Dame football, writes, quote, De Valera's visit applied momentum to the fighting Irish nickname, and the college newspaper, The Scholastic, began employing it in game accounts. After the 1919 game over Army, which is the West Point team, the student reporter wrote that the game unmistakably rebranded the Notre Dame Warriors as the Fighting Irish. And you've got to remember what was happening in Ireland at this time, which would have served as the backdrop to all of this. You had the Easter Rising in 1916, the subsequent War of Independence and Civil War, uh, the team's name came just six years after the irish finally gained independence from great britain after hundreds of years of oppression and also the 1920s was the golden age of notre dame and perhaps this explains the popularity of the name at this time so it was a sort of a, a compliment rather than a, a slur we're only interpreting it as, as a slur now given our modern contemporary context of taking offense to these types of issues
0: yeah that's interesting i noticed um maybe this is like a, a british isles thing or something i, I noticed when i was on um a a tour in Scotland actually uh we were driving past a pub that the the bus driver was also the guide to the tour and he was uh he had his old microphone uh, his headset microphone on and he was telling a story about a pub like a really old pub in Edinburgh or something like that and he made a comment about how um Scottish people are known for not being able to walk past a pub without going in for a pint or something like that you know so i think i don't know are are british and irish people sort of a little bit conscious and maybe a little bit defensive about the drinking culture, the pub culture, the fighting culture. Cause I think in America, we're not so much defensive about that. Not that I can think of. What do you think of them?
2: Um, I do kind of feel like it is a bit of a recurring joke, at least for me and like being abroad, that it's kind of like, like there's often like, Oh, you're Irish. Like you can handle your drink or like, that you'd know about I don't know that you like can always like know a good whiskey to get or like know where to get a good pint of Guinness (laughs) or something which is always like it's funny like the first time but then after all you're like okay like it doesn't (laughs) actually mean anything but yeah I I don't know I think for me it's always like oh you can handle your drink you're Irish which is kind of like when you hear it first you're like oh maybe it's kind of cool and then you're like oh it's just a real cliche kind of thing
1: I get that I hesitate to 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 criticize people when they say things like that to me, though, because I'm I'm guilty of living up to it myself and using it when it suits me. You know, sometimes it gets tiresome, gets wearisome. But then other times, I I use it too, and I I turn that on as well. Okay. I play that card, and I think later we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, one of Ireland's most infamous sports people today, Conor McGregor, and how he is uh, quite content to play up to this stereotype of the fighting
0: Irish. Yeah, maybe we should do that now. Now, first of all, I want to know because I'm a big UFC fan. um I'm a Conor McGregor fan too, but but the UFC is not um it's not really like uh, other sports where you have like uh, someone that comes from your hometown. I mean, maybe Conor McGregor is from your hometown. I don't know. Actually, he is, actually. Yeah, he's yeah, from yeah, yeah. both of your hometown. He's from Dublin. <laughs> anyway, um it's not really like that. You you root for the fighter that's from your hometown. People just kind of like pick fighters they kind of like, and you know, some you you can like many many fighters. You don't have to choose like one fighter. But anyway, McGregor is one of the fighters I like. Um, And I can see how if you're Irish, you might be a little bit embarrassed, a little bit cringe, like, ah, why does he, why does he, like, uh, insult people all the time, sort of, like, you know, he he uses, like, kind of cringy Irish stereotypes to his advantage, I guess, in the argument, or he, maybe he speaks with an exaggerated accent, I don't know, I I would like to hear what you guys know, or what you guys think, rather, about uh, Conor McGregor. Go ahead, Evan
2: um i can't say that i'm a ufc fan shocking for uh i'm sorry it's like shocking for you guys to hear that no i'm just kidding but um no i don't know i i feel like a lot of the things that he says is to like hype up the fights that he has like with like to get a bit of traction for you know if he says something against the person he's going to fight the following week it's like just to create this like tension so that's why he says those like outrageous things um which is all well and good when like you're a fighter and that's, you know, that's your brand but I just I think he's problematic outside of the ring and outside of that for various other reasons um I can't say I don't know I
1: that's that's why I don't
2: know. I just I don't know anyone like him. <laughs> like do you know that kind of way. Like you're saying, okay he's from Ireland. He's from Dublin, where I used to live. But I can't be like, oh yeah, I know ten people like that. You know, that, that's what <laughs> makes it
1: difficult to give a definitive answer to these questions that we open the show up with today. Because for every Irish person who, you know, dislikes the association we have with the fighting Irish kind of brand, you know, you're going to have other Irish people. Who actually quite enjoy that, you know that uh, that association. And you got Conor McGregor, who's who's living proof. Um, so you you can't give a definitive answer as to whether it's, you know, what a, a pernicious negative stereotype. If uh, there's quite a, and Conor McGregor is a huge following in Ireland as well as abroad. For them, it's it's not offensive. It's <laughs> they did he he loves it. No, didn't he just usher in a new era of the fighting Irish? That's a, that's in his
0: marketing yeah and i was you you sent me that clip um i I was surprised i never heard that quote from him
2: i feel free that's why i'm
1: saying i don't feel pressure on on fight night i don't feel pressure when i make that walk you're given everything
2: you've got you're in there to die you're prepared to die in there i am prepared to die in there and i'm also prepared to kill in there
0: that's cool i think that's a cool quote and, and he's I think... he's
1: even got the notre dame leprechaun tattooed on his body oh does he yeah that's oh, wow. one of his tattoos okay. pretty sure
0: okay yeah well from what i know about him is that his life is just i mean if you want a movie script look at a biography of conor mcgregor it evelyn is evelyn is raising her eyes there <laughs> why, why is you that
2: the very last thing i want to watch is a movie about the life of conor
0: mcgregor it was a netflix documentary <laughs> oh, it's so good yeah watch the netflix documentary if you haven't it's really good Anyway, so so what what do we know about I, Conor McGregor? He's from he's from Crumlin, right? Which is a rough part of Dublin, is that right? Yeah, it's, yeah. What, what's the Postal Code of Crumlin, is it? Uh,
2: 12, proper 12, because it's the oh, same name as the whiskey. whiskey. Okay. Yeah, the same name as the whiskey, so it's Dublin 12. I actually lived, like, if you're, I don't know how to describe this, but it, like kind of the next little, I was in 13, so okay. like I was like the next one over. I'm from Dublin 15. So, oh yeah.
1: Bit of a rough reputation too. Yeah. Not like Crumlin.
2: Yeah, Crumlin definitely has a reputation. I don't know. I think it's changed in the last while, but I think that's something that he has incorporated into his brand as to like where he's come from has kind of shaped him. Mm. Um, And that's kind of made him who he is, the fighter he is. And he's, you know, kind of started from nothing and, you know, has made it.
1: A lot of these UFC fighters though have, you know, they come from modest uh, beginnings and rough backgrounds. I mean, Tell us about a few others. Yeah. What about that
0: Khabib guy? And Yeah, Khabib, yeah, he comes from Dagestan, which is one of the roughest parts of Russia. Um, Jose Aldo, who uh, whom Conor McGregor famously knocked out in like 11 seconds or something like that. Um, he was one of the best fighters of all time out of Brazil, and he came from Manaus, which is uh, in the... In the sort of the Amazon River area, um, in the northwestern part of Brazil, Uh, very rough city. I've been to Manaus, and it was like it was shocking. Like you get to the the hotel or the little hostel we were at, and you know it's it's all locked down, and they have like all these signs saying like "Don't do this, don't do this, never call a taxi, never do this," and they like all these rules about how not to get robbed. Um, So yeah, a lot of UFC fighters, I think they get bullied. They come from rough areas as a kid, and that turns into fighting. Yeah,
1: don't think Conor McGregor had. I think he was unemployed for a long time before his fighting took off. and
0: Right. I mean, his story is nothing short of the American dream because he was going to be a plumber. Uh, he went to like the first few days of plumber training or something like that. Or maybe it was the first couple days on the job and he was like, F this, I'm never doing that again. So the fighting Irish
1: uh, stereotype works for him. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, it's not surprising that he's so popular in the States.
0: Yeah. He, he started off as, the, um, as a cage warrior, which is the Irish uh, ultimate fighting league. Um, called Cage Warriors and he won a few fights there he actually lost a few in the beginning as well Um, but he won a few he started winning like three four five six fights in a row and then he got into the UFC Um, Dana White had his eye on him signed him to the UFC and then again he won four or five fights in a row Um, but finally lately he's been really showing that he is immortal after all he's been losing a lot lately and uh, even his his legacy is coming into question I mean if he loses again he's fighting in, in July if he loses again he might have to retire so we'll see how that goes
1: I know some friends back home who would consider McGregor to be a quote-unquote cultural traitor for living up to these stereotypes that have been drawn by British and American imperialists to keep us down, you know, that would go as far as calling him a a cultural traitor. Not to his face, I would imagine, but (laughs) but still. um, I have another friend who thinks he represents the worst about Ireland. And although I'm proud that he, he puts Ireland... Um on the map on the yeah, on the map, at the highest level of athleticism in his kind of fighting world, like as a teacher as well i I find it really hard to condone I mean some of the things he's publicly said talking to Jose Aldo about riding into his favela, if this were another time, I would ride into your favela on my horse and just shoot you and your people, you know in this kind of colonial mindset, which isn't. The type of Irish reputation or tradition, I I would have thought that McGregor is coming from because he's more of a nationalistic kind of mm. individual as opposed to an, you know, um, imperial kind of uh, individual. You know, so uh, you yeah, know, that type of and the, the things he said about, um,
0: Khabib. Yeah, yeah, he insulted his religion. He insulted his family. Yeah, he's dirty. I find, and it, it, I but find the, it really
1: hard to that. To me, that's yeah.
0: But the, I mean, the flip side of that is. Um, that he's really embraced the entertainer side of being a fighter. So he's, he's embraced, uh, the the showmanship of it, which no other fighter had really done. And that's why Dana White, uh, you know, loves Conor McGregor to death. He made him so much money because Conor McGregor brought people into the, brought new fans to the UFC, like no other fighter has done. And he changed, not only did he change the UFC, but he has really changed the course of, of, um, the whole martial arts industry because boxing prior to, prior to commerce, prior to Conor McGregor uh boxing was more popular than UFC and now it's actually flipped UFC is, it gets uh, more views than boxing does i just wonder given
1: the opportunity that he has or had still has might he not have better served this fighting irish kind of emblem than um associating that or marrying that with all of this racist sexist um you know uh, baggage that that he has done you know which kind of keeps yeah. it in the muck even more.
0: Yeah, fair point. I don't. I don't have a strong opinion either way. I just think there. It's. It's a. It's polemical. He's a polemical man. You know? He's a polemical character. He's a polemical
1: character. Yeah. But the fact that he has a huge following, though, makes it hard to say that you know this is. A, this is an insult for a lot of people. This is a compliment. <laughs> Despite the fact that people of Irish ethnicity are no longer openly discriminated against in America, there is ample evidence that they were not only disliked by other Euro-Americans, but actively discriminated against in employment and educational opportunities. The Ku Klux Klan, famed for terrorizing African-Americans, also targeted Irish-Americans as social undesirables. Finally, in 1927, university president, Reverend Matthew Walsh, decided that Fighting Irish was preferable to the school's more derisive nicknames, such as, alternately, the Vagabonds, the Nomads, the Hoosiers, the Dirty Irish, and the Papists. He said in a statement, The university authorities are in no way averse to the name Fighting Irish as applied to our athletic teams. I sincerely hope that we may always be worthy of the ideal embodied in the term Fighting Irish, referencing the Never Say Die fighting spirit, and the Irish qualities of great determination and tenacity. Today, Notre Dame has the Keogh Nocton Institute for Irish Studies with distinguished scholars of Irish language, literature, history and society. Notre Dame is an international study programme in Ireland and the campus is still the largest centre for the study of the Irish language outside Dublin. That should interest you there, Evelyn, mm-hmm. our, our resident Gail Gore.
2: <laughs> yeah, I actually didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yeah.
1: Above all, Notre Dame was shaped and is still influenced by the resiliency and deep thirst for learning of uh, of the Irish people. And the ideal was eloquently described by Ireland's president, Mary McAleese, at Notre Dame's commencement in 2006, when she said, the language you use here, the fighting Irish, what we actually mean mostly when we talk about it, is an indomitable spirit, a commitment, never tentative, always fully committed to life itself that's really the spirit of the fighting irish but i think it's interesting that she thought fit to address
2: yeah i'm glad ones. she did i'm glad she did i think she said it well but she kind of whatever she thought it was or whatever she picked it up on like mm. she just she switched S- she kind spun of, it yeah she spun <laughs> it to yeah. her to yeah.
1: advantage yeah um I, I think that's nice It kind of completes the circle amon de Valera to mary McAleese. Mm. Mm-hmm. um so much for the cultural misappropriation argument or is there more to it? Okay. According to William McGunn, in an opinion column published in the Wall Street Journal, the university is highlighting its own heritage rather than appropriating imagery from others, and that by embracing the Fighting Irish moniker, Notre Dame transformed an epithet into a source of pride. Um, and according to the university, there is no comparison between Notre Dame's nickname and the stereotypical images of African and Native Americans used by other organizations, None of these companies or institutions were founded or named by black people or Native Americans who sought to highlight their heritage by using names and symbols associated with their culture or heritage, which is what you were talking about earlier, Tim. So there is a distinctive difference there. At Notre Dame, however, the Irish have been an integral part of the the institution since its beginning and, as noted, played a principal role in actually adopting the name. Four of the seven religious who founded the university in 1842 were Irish-born. In addition, Notre Dame students and faculty were overwhelmingly Irish throughout the university's first 100 years, and the representation remains strong today. In fact, we have more students, the university says, studying the Irish language at Notre Dame than anywhere outside of Ireland itself, and we have what is widely recognized as the preeminent Irish studies program in the US, as mentioned a moment ago. Um, It's also worthy of note that 15 of Notre Dame's 17 presidents have been of Irish descent, Unlike companies or organizations that have expropriated others' cultures, our symbols, says the university, stand as celebratory representations of a genuine Irish heritage at Notre Dame, a heritage that we regard with respect, loyalty, and affection.
0: So it sounds like the mascot's not going to
1: change anytime soon, huh?
0: I don't think so. I don't think so.
1: Some critics uh, argue that that university argument that... Um, It's not a case of cultural appropriation or misappropriation that was overstated. Um, The fact remains that the university was founded by a group of French Catholic priests. um, And uh, the the logo fighting Irish and the the stereotype um, of this kind of pugilistic leprechaun is is still a case of racial stereotyping. Um, Apparently, the founding priest, Reverend Edward Soren, is on the record of having written that the Irish are by nature full of faith, respect religious inclinations, and sensible and devoted, but a great defect often paralyzes them in all their other good qualities, the lack of stability. They change more readily than any other nation. I'm not quite sure what he meant by that. Um, And Soren, this priest, was so aggrieved by the Irish background of many of his students that he banned the celebration of St. Patrick's Day, including the wearing of green clothing on Notre Dame's campus, um students and others often defied this ban um to their own detriment as father soren would usually have them expelled so some people think that this you know um the university doth protest too much and in fact um and, and 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 in fact that he uh the founding fathers were were still quite biased towards the irish so anyway i mean i guess the jury's out on that
0: yeah um do you have anything specifically on Irish Catholics? I have a few anecdotes about them. Um, I'm wondering if maybe this... Uh, do you think this fighting Irish stereotype, the Irish being fighters, has anything to do with them fighting for Catholicism at all? Or do you think that's totally separate? Do you want to jump in there, Evelyn? I
2: feel like it could be to do with... Um, like when we were talking about the fighting Irish at the start, when you guys were discussing it, I was kind of thinking about you know like the war of independence which you know the root of like the war of independence was a result of fighting for like catholicism in ireland and the fact that there was um the plantations and and that kind of thing um so it 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 led me to think of it a little bit but it's not necessarily the first thing that would come to mind it's kind of more the fact that that was a religious war rather than the fact that we're really fighting for for our religion but i guess it's all it's all tied together
1: (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I I do think the Catholic angle, though, is important for this stereotype because I think it's a particularly American stereotype. Now, like we said at the beginning, you know, the Irish might have a reputation as soldiers or, you know, for revolutionary activities and they have a reputation in, you know, in continental Europe, you know, for their, their history there. But I think this particular stereotype um, is predominantly American and it's formed by the American experience of Irish immigrants who are mainly Catholic and rooted specifically in that historical context.
0: Yeah, cuz I uh I found that the Irish have not only fought for Catholicism, but they've fought for Protestantism quite a bit as well um in America, specifically New York City. Um, I found one story about a the Archbishop of New York, uh, John Hughes. Um is he is he famous in Ireland? I'm guessing not.
1: <laughs> I I don't know perhaps, but uh maybe maybe not, not for me, maybe no. not for me.
0: Never heard of him, okay. So the Archbishop of New York City in the 1840s was a man named John Hughes, who was born in Ireland. I'm not sure exactly, exactly which city. In any case, he was an Irish Irish Catholic that immigrated to the States. Uh, and in Philadelphia, so not New York City, but um, Philadelphia, there were uh, riots and fighting between the Catholics and Protestants of all, all backgrounds, not just Irish Catholics and Protestants, but... Um, basically you know america from the beginning was a, a haven for protestantism and specifically puritanism but there were a few states like maryland and uh, i believe rhode island a few other states that um actually perhaps pennsylvania as well um which is the state um where uh philadelphia is like philadelphia and pittsburgh are the two big cities in pennsylvania anyway uh, so these states that i said were um sort of bastions for faith tolerance um so maryland and rhode island and pennsylvania allowed catholics uh, in the beginning of course later catholics were allowed everywhere to some extent with like reduced rights and restrictions and so forth Um, but in in any case in philadelphia in the 1830s or perhaps uh, 1840s there was um fighting between the catholics and the protestants and several catholic churches were burned down and some people were killed, um, but no Protestant churches were were burned, only Catholic ones. Um, and word of these, these riots and these churches getting burned down got to New York City, um, at which point the Protestant ministers and the Catholic priests, um, the bishops, got together and said, hey, uh, you know, we don't want this fighting to happen in New York City. You know, we don't want New York City to get burned down to the ground, something like that. Um, is there anything we can do to maybe mitigate the fighting? and uh John Hughes was a famous um well he's famous basically for saying this uh he said uh if if any of the Catholic churches in New York City are touched uh the irish the, the uh, catholic the Irish Catholics will turn New York City into another moscow uh which of course he's referring to when um the russians the the moscovites burned down their own city uh when they when they got word that Napoleon was coming." Um, and the sort of a scorched earth policy against Napoleon, which was successful, it stopped Napoleon um, from being able to invade Russia. Um, so I thought that was an interesting quote, how, um, you know, he made such a, a sort of uh, made such a threat uh, to the other side. And it worked. So no, no Irish, no Catholic churches. I keep saying Irish, but no Catholic churches in New York City were touched.
1: That's interesting. I know I find it's always complicated when you speak about Ireland and i i'd be interested to hear your opinion evelyn um I ireland can mean so many things to so many communities so you could have your irish catholic nationalist you you also have your speaking historically the scots irish the traditionally unionist uh who are another type of irish person you know you've got you've got the irish who will enjoy a stereotype like this and others who'll who feel slighted by it you've got the irish kind of republican narrative which is the modern irish historical narrative i mean uh, but then you've also had so many irish in the past who were involved with the british empire and their stories now are sort of kind of like erased from the national narrative we celebrate the the, the martyrs who died in 1916 and we celebrate our own kind of pantheon of like nationalistic heroes and you know you know we, we don't really mention some of these um individuals from the past their statutes have been removed um i mean you, you just even think of like the duke of wellington arthur wesley or um i forget his first name but there was a really prominent um general in the british army Gough, who conquered uh for the brits uh, Kashmir. you know at that time in the 19th century in india so I mean uh, it's kind of it's kind of a strange one, I mean, because I mean the United Irishmen who were active at the end of the eighteenth century, they had principally Protestant leadership, you know, like Wolftone, Theobald Wolftone was a Protestant. Um so I don't know, like this whole talking about the Irish there's so many you know, and in and in and in the history books they're always distinguishing between the Irish Catholics and the Scots Irish and so I mean you could talk around some of these Issues um, from from many different perspectives. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it is a lot to do with um like kind of who you ask, or like it, like what you said. It's like it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And something that I actually just remembered as you were saying that, like being Irish in France, is the first question you get asked is, "Are you from the north or the south?" And the fact that they even know the difference they mightn't really understand the nuances of it but like the fact that they're aware that there is a northern ireland Mm. and you know uh, like a republic is actually like a kind of i'm quite impressed that people are aware of that in france um i can't say that i really had the same questions when i was in the states for whatever reason Mm. um i don't know i i've just like bumped into people who are like oh yeah i've listened to this podcast about it and It just, you know, I think different countries are educated about Ireland in different ways.
1: So to wrap up my feelings about the fighting Irish slogan, I think that the Irish historically have had a long and favorable reputation for revolution and martial aptitude in France and elsewhere and in the United States, like you were mentioning, Tim. And honestly, I choose to see that as a sort of a compliment, you know, um, in, in the way that you do. I think more problematic is the Fighting Irish Leprechaun mascot. Um, the university has defended its mascot by stating that it's in keeping with the nickname Fighting Irish and Irish folklore. In the early 20s, Notre Dame's first mascot, however, was an Irish ter- Terrier called Tipperary Terrence. Uh, <laughs> And today the Fighting Irish takes a human form in the Leprechaun on-field mascot, uh, who's a student chosen annually at tryouts, dressed in a cutaway green suit, a mourning hat, brandishing a shillelagh, um, and aggressively leading cheers and interacting with the crowd, supposedly bringing magical powers and good luck to the Notre Dame team. And a cartoon form in the logo, which depicts a Leprechaun figure with his dukes up, um, ready to battle anyone that comes this way. This is the one that's tattooed on on, on Conor McGregor, A deliberate caricature, the leprechaun has only been part of the university's marketing since they paid a designer named Ted Drake $50 to draw it in 1964. And caricatures, as we're all aware, have historically been used to dehumanize other races or ethnicities, often so that other groups of people will feel comfortable with or even support their ill treatment. According to historian Noel Ignatieff in How the Irish Became White, Depictions of the Irish in early America were similar to the romanticized and disparaging portrayals excuse me, of Negroes, Native Americans, and others. And to quote Ignatieff and, uh, from his book, along with Jim Crow and Jim Dandy, he writes, The drunken, belligerent, and foolish Pat and Bridget were stock characters on the early stage. This popularized image of a leprechaun is little more than a series of stereotypes based on derogatory 19th century caricatures in which the leprechaun became associated with drunkenness, greed and indolence. The Notre Dame leprechaun is fist raised, hat askew, is near enough a replica of the simian featured caricatures deployed by Punch magazine when mocking the Irish throughout the 19th century.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can see how a leprechaun is uh, more offensive than than fighting Irish. I think that's logical um because fighting irish you know like we said you can spin it fighting the good fight whereas a leprechaun i mean i don't think anyone wants to be seen as any short st- short statured uh figure on a national level do they
1: no and and if you look at that leprechaun it's not like other representations of leprechauns evelyn like in even harry potter and the goblet of fire i mean they go to see the quidditch world cup and it's the irish and they're they're happy to see the irish and got a dancing leprechaun and fireworks or or even in um or even in the Lucky Charms cereal. I mean, I have some issues with that leprechaun, just because he's, he's a bit. <laughs> anyway, but, but I mean, you know, a lot of these depictions are in the Irish tourist industry. It's generally a jolly, happy, child-friendly leprechaun. But this leprechaun and the Notre Dame mascot, he has these features that were depicted in the 19th century, which were like a concerted effort by the British establishment and the media to portray the Irish as barbaric, unruly, and violent um, when they sense growing support for like Home Rule or nationalist Mm -hmm. uh, initiatives. Punch magazine were renowned for propagating negative Irish stereotypes just when Parnell and Butt were pushing for more independence. An 1848 cartoon featured in British magazine Punch depicted the British government as a regal lion um, and the leader of the Irish Rebellion, John Mitchell, as a vicious and foolish simian wearing a jester's cap, Mm -hmm. for instance.
2: Yeah, I don't know. For me, like... I don't know, the idea of leprechauns is definitely, definitely as I said earlier, it's like when you think of Irish symbols, it's like you have your uh, shamrock and just the idea of a leprechaun. I don't know, I, I haven't thought of it in the way that you you mentioned it as that it's kind of negative like features almost um, of how people could view Irish people as actually physically looking. um. It's the first time I've really thought of it like that, but yeah, it kind of makes sense of of the way that that was done. Like, yeah. I don't
1: think many people today um, make that association, mm-hmm. but I think if you if you if you if you read into the history, well, perhaps not. But when I read into the history, that's where I see its origins. You know, mm-hmm. at least the Notre Dame's choice of of leprechaun it sounds mm-hmm. kind of ridiculous to me having such a mm-hmm. serious conversation about leprechauns of mm-hmm. all things, but. <laughs>
0: well uh well, I promise to offend you guys, so uh, so here we go um so, I found a really, really interesting take on the Irish in general, the history of the Irish in America, and this is a historian's take um the historian's name is Thaddeus Russell, um who was made famous or infamous again, a uh, very polemical guy, depending on your point of view by his book, uh, a Renegade History of the United States, or Renegade History of America i believe is the, is the title and Uh, In his book, he discusses how um, the Irish, upon arrival um, in America as immigrants, were actually considered below the blacks. So how is that possible, right? I mean, America has not been kind to the blacks, as I'm sure you know. Um, And they were considered below the blacks because a black slave was actually a considerable investment by the master. Whereas an Irish worker, an Irish laborer, um, all you had to do was pay him a, a day's wages and he would do the work. And, you know, you could even send him off to do some very dangerous work. And if he was injured or killed for some reason, I mean, we're talking the 1800s, early 1800s, you just had to pay him for that day's wages and you were done with him. Whereas if a, a black slave was killed or injured, you lost a ton of money on that investment, right? So this was one of the reasons why Irish uh, were considered um, below the blacks. Um, but they were also known as uh, the best dancers. We, we were talking about the, the fighting Irish. Have you guys heard of the dancing Irish?
2: Know what that makes me think of that scene in Titanic when they like when like, all the Irish are below deck and they Irish dance. Do you remember that? Yeah, they go yeah. into
1: steerage and they're all yeah, dancing. Yeah, yeah, they're and like happy all drinking
2: Guinness and yeah, that's that's what it makes. But I suppose they are all like if you think about that, I mean, they the, were all Irish people going to America, so that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I
1: mean the Irish immigrants at this time probably yeah they would have been a lot more quote unquote traditional than we are today. I mean many of them would have been Irish speakers and probably mm.
0: good Irish dancers too. Well, the Irish actually invented tap dancing in New York City. did you know that
1: yeah we've i, I yeah we've heard this I we, didn't. We could, you didn't hear this no, no
2: I didn't know that yeah
1: yeah yeah I think uh yeah Irish dancing yeah
0: this is not river dance though. we're talking about we're just it's yeah, classic yeah. tap tap dancing um so they're credited with inventing t- uh tap da- tap dancing in New York City maybe uh, uh, Anthony it sounds like maybe the the historical accuracy on that one is questionable.
1: I don't know there probably is some truth to it Um, you know all these cultural influences probably found a way you know even country music in the in the United States I think and there's an awful lot there from Irish uh, folk folk music and you know bluegrass too has a a strong Irish uh,
2: slang actually one that I learned recently is um, people don't really say it anymore but if people say like you dig which means like do you understand comes from Irish it means like if to say do you understand is like on dig into is mm-hmm. like do you understand and that came from directly from Irish i believe it black. sounds good cool. <laughs> okay.
0: on digging too yeah. um but i'm i'm not i'm not
1: terribly shocked that you say the irish were were viewed as less than a uh, than, than a black person or an african american the the trouble with this debate or this conversation though is this idea of like equivocation because today when we talk about this or the, the treatment in the 19th century we lose sight of the 19th century context we approach it from like a 21st century context and, and people think you're trying to diminish the experience of like chattel slaves um, by talking about how bad it was for indentured ser- ser- servants. However, there is, yeah, there's, there is um, you know, race being viewed as uh, principally the color of one's skin is kind of a, a modern phenomenon in the U.S. when Irish families moved into neighborhoods. Other families often moved out, fearing the real or imagined dangers of disease, fire hazards, unsanitary conditions, and the social problems of violence, alcoholism, and crime. As a result, the Irish were often characterized as troubled, violent, and ignorant. And according to the Library of Congress, to this day, Blacks and Irish are viewed as having similar social pathologies, which are alcoholism, violence, and broken homes.
0: Yeah, that's it. That ties in really well with my research, too. I I found that they were were known for um, being hard workers, you know, working for just uh, low wages uh being great dancers and also when they moved uh, when they originally moved to the states they they moved in into uh they moved into black neighborhoods and actually uh, procreated with with blacks i um blacks and irish uh, had babies together which was like whoa like unheard of at the time uh, blacks and whites have well not unheard of but extremely rare for uh, blacks and whites to um, have babies together um, so they they moved into these poor neighborhoods because they really had no other choice um, but to live with the black people because they were the blacks had already been forced i'm sure to live in the worst neighborhoods the poorest and the dirtiest um they the irish were even called uh and again we're talking early 1800s here so you have to take this in the context of the time they were called white n-words um except not n-word uh so yeah also yeah (laughs) uh, another another one that i've i've read another
1: insult was the n-word uh turned inside out the irish referred to as the n-word turned inside out and african-americans for their part were sometimes called smoked irish
0: oh wow so it goes both ways (laughs) um but so that's kind of like the that's where the Irish, uh, in the early 1800s, where they were considered, uh, you know, quote, uh, below the blacks or at the bottom of society. But um, the good news for for the Irish people is that there was a, a, a really a meteoric rise in society for the Irish. So they they started off at the bottom, but they decided to join uh, the police force, the military, uh, the firefighter, um, the fire department, excuse me, uh, en masse. And um, they really, uh, well, two things happened. One was good. One was bad. The good thing for the Irish is that they started making more money, having a more integrated um, position in American society, but the other thing that was not so good is they became some of the most racist, actually. The Irish uh, Americans became some of the most racist Americans, um, often leading the charge. A great example of this is in the 1863 uh, New York City draft riots, um, where uh, you know dozens, I don't know exactly how many, I think dozens of blacks were um, lynched in New York City. Um, because of the uh, civil war so the story is that the basically the irish were a little bit more desperate maybe than the other populations um, and they were willing to um, basically be sold someone's draft position so if you were drafted you could pay an irishman to go fight in the civil war for you um, and the irish you know maybe needed money more than the other uh... ethnicities and they were accepting these draft positions at a higher rate than the others and pretty soon they were going off to war and dying, and their loved ones were getting obviously they were devastated. They were dying, and uh, this created sort of um, sort of a fomenting anger in in New York City among the Irish population, which um, er, er started the anger started towards the rich because the rich were able to just buy their way out of the war. But this uh, this riot unfortunately turned towards the blacks because the Civil War was of course fighting for the the freedom of the slaves in the South, um, and the Irish ended up. Uh, hanging uh, lynching um dozens of blacks in new york city yeah
1: it's it's not a flattering story at all and there are an awful lot of uh warts in the story too um despite the fact that early in their history blacks and Irish shared these neighborhoods like you said and suffered from si- similar discrimination and insults and occupied similar social and occupational stations um they're their coupling kind of parted ways when they were searching for kind of equal social status, essentially to rise in social status and broaden their opportunities. The early Irish Americans um, had to uh, sort of ingratiate themselves with the larger white population, and that meant by maligning another downtrodden group. And this uh, scholar Ignatieff that I referred to earlier, he, arg- he argues that it's by joining in the degradation of another race the African-Americans in this case, that the Irish rose above their early status in America as Irish apes and white Negroes. All right, guys. So let's perhaps try to wrap up today's episode. Um, and uh, I'm interested in hearing your verdict about um, about both the slogan and the Notre Dame logo mascot. Um, so what's the harm in your opinion, like in film and art, um, and in other mediums that promulgate racial and ethnic stereotypes?
2: Um, I do think it is just kind of what we mentioned before, um, just like a, a kind of a global bit of an uneducated stereotype of, like I kind of keep taking the US as a bit of an example or a benchmark of, you know, Irish, they like to fight, they like to drink, and then that's kind of the cap on on their knowledge of our culture so i guess it's just kind of like just to avoid ignorance really um because there is a lot more to it than just you know smoking drinking fighting but uh, (laughs) but no i i do think it like it just comes down to that um of just an awareness of not going back to those stereotypes from hundreds of years ago at this point um yeah that would be it for me
1: they're a bit they're a bit obsolete today
2: yeah i think times have changed yeah
0: yeah, I I agree with that. I think, uh, but you'll find a lot of Americans are ignorant about a lot of cultures. They they don't even know like what's going on in the next state over. The, uh.
1: But that that's interesting too, because we were talking about how, I mean, it's difficult to kind of generalize about Ireland or to, to to discuss like Irish stereotypes and things like this, because there's so many different types with different allegiances, et cetera. But you also have the Irish American community, which is distinct from the Irish community in Ireland. I mean, mm-hmm. so perhaps some of these, things are more important to them because they're clutching onto these ideas too because it's you know it's this is the crucible in which they as an ethnic group or whatever um you know you know coalesced around whereas for us we've kind of in ireland we kind of moved on a little bit maybe some of our opinions and our impressions would differ maybe with an irish american you know maybe this is quite important to an irish american uh this this idea of Notre Dame fighting Irish um, and what it represents in in the Irish American community, and uh, maybe we're sort of a little a little
0: distant, you know, um, from this. Yeah, yeah. I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, like the idea of changing the mascot would be horrible news. Some people say you you don't even need the mascot. I mean, the the superimposed
1: N and D logo is sufficient, you know. and and, and others say that. A lot of people don't even refer to them as the Fighting Irish. They just simply call them the Irish. Um, So perhaps there is a way of moving beyond the the stereotype. But do you think we need to?
2: Um, Should it change,
1: in your opinion? I don't know. Would you sign a... uh,
2: Sign a waiver? I guess, yeah, I guess, like, it's a good point that you make in terms of, like, being an Irish-American. That it could be something that's important for them. So... Maybe, you know, it would be more important for them to keep it than it would be for me to have a say that it should be changed to someone who's who's not even there. Mm. So, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting what you're saying about, you know, keeping it for their traditions.
1: Do you you think this debates in the same kind of category as the debates, the other debates we mentioned at the beginning of
0: the podcast uh, about the Native Americans? The the Native American name team teams. Uh, well, some are definitely more egregious than others. I think, uh, like I said before, I think the fact that it's the fighting Irish, it can be spun as, you know, fighting for something good. So I think it's not quite it's not on the same level as uh, the Washington Redskins for me, for example. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I laid out my cards at the beginning. I've had some time to think about this. Um, in preparation for the episode, but yeah, I have no issue with the Fighting Irish slogan, the Leprechaun. I think, arguably, there are grounds to criticize it as a negative stereotype. Um, I don't feel strongly enough about it, but I do think there is. it has its roots in those negative caricatures of the 19th century. Um, damn,
0: I hope nobody takes offense to the Mighty Ducks, because... i still love that (laughs) team yeah mighty ducks i I guess no real country has a strong association with ducks that comes to mind (laughs) (laughs) watch this space thank you for listening to this episode of the polemical history podcast tell us what polemical history you'd like to hear discussed next on instagram or twitter our handle is at PolemicalCast, P-O-L-E-M-I-C-A-L-C-A-S-T. Alternatively, you can email us at PolemicalCast at com. Finally, we'd like to acknowledge the
1: following sources which were consulted in the making of this episode. L.P. Curtis's Apes and Angels, The Irishman of Victorian Caricature, published by Smithsonian Institution Press. Noel Ignatieff's How the Irish Became White, published by Rutledge. And an article entitled From Apes and Thick Mix to the Fighting Irish, cultural misappropriation at the university of notre dame written by megan connolly and billy hawkins and published in the journal of intercollegiate sport
2: so the irish car bomb is only something i learned about in the last two no three or four years was when i was in Barcelona with a group of US friends and it was like it's a shot and I like didn't
1: You didn't know about that? I didn't know about that. Never ordered one before? No.
2: Like the only Irish themed shot I knew about was a baby Guinness, which is just delicious, but nothing offensive. But no, I thought it was really shocking and they were kind of laughing about it, but and I was kinda like laughing in shock, but also was trying to explain to them like how offensive that is because it's in such recent history. You know, when yeah. you're thinking about the troubles in the north, like it's really not that long ago. Um, so that's so
1: that's that's the shot or shooter called an Irish car bomb. Yeah, yeah. yeah the name's considered offensive, um, and some bartenders refuse to even serve it. And some Irish comedians have likened it to ordering an ISIS or a Twin Towers in an American bar.
2: Right. What What is the alcohol in it?
1: An Irish car bomb. I don't know. I always refer, I always thought it was like just a shot of whiskey. Dropped into a uh, into a pint. There's of beer. something
2: about like y- yeah, there's something about dropping it in, so it kind of has this like there's some reaction, yeah. isn't it?
1: I know a lot of these though are not Irish things. They're they're things the foreigners, mainly Americans or British, coin about us though, and the same is true of like you ever heard that expression an Irish goodbye?
2: Yeah when you leave without saying goodbye
1: yeah when you just like ghost at a party that's
2: great I do that all the time
1: it's a very you know it's
2: very effective it's, especially when you live in France and you have to go around and you have to say goodbye to everyone and do the bees and like chit chat whereas an Irish goodbye is just
1: but, but when did that become the uh, why the Irish goodbye because I never heard that until I think it was from American friends because and I remember actually reading Chateaubriand's memoirs and that was referred to no it wasn't Chateaubriand it was tolstoy's war and peace and in tolstoy's war and peace the same behavior is known as a french goodbye
2: i've heard that too but i feel like from first time living in france the french goodbye is saying you're leaving and then taking an hour to say goodbye to everyone yeah. that's a french goodbye for me. is it
1: a bit like you know the way they used to call syphilis the the french disease and the, the english <laughs> would call syphilis the french disease the french would call it the english disease yeah but
2: that's like throwing that's just like throwing like that's something (laughs) bad but i feel like the irish goodbye isn't necessarily okay it's not polite but like it's not the worst thing
1: yeah you you were the one who told me about irish twins i never heard that expression oh
2: yeah irish twins when you're born within a year of your sibling so they're really close together or catholic Catholic twins i think they can be known as yeah
1: just because the mother of the family is just knocking out a baby yeah yeah, yeah 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 you know irish my friends. you know my sister who lives in birmingham told me that her friends over there i mean tongue in cheek you know but call her ira
2: that's a bit much just because she's irish
1: yeah it's either ira they call her or ira <laughs> i think it's ira but yeah i don't know i don't think i'd like that if mm. someone
2: called me that abroad i just some people don't understand it i don't know how does she find out
1: um, I don't know. She just uh, when she when she just when she just, though, she, just yeah. she just mentioned it to me. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll have to call her up and yeah. ask her. She listens to this podcast, so uh,
2: it depends what kind of relationship you have with your friends, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably one of those kind of you know yeah. black humoristic, uh, yeah, um, yeah,
2: things. Yeah.
1: You know, only that you, only your closest friends can say it to you. You know that kind of way. Yeah, um, yeah, that's fair. I remember as well. Ever hear the term an Irish wake? No, no, my what
2: in in terms of just like a funeral.
1: Yeah, but um yeah yeah the funeral but the, it's adopted and and i think they call it the american wake in fact it's like when all the irish when an irish emigrant would leave to go to the united states for example the the, the understanding was you'd you'd likely not see them again mm. and i remember when i moved to canada my my dad told me this and uh, i hadn't heard it before and he said it's like an american wake so what do you mean he said yeah it's you know <laughs> it's almost like saying goodbye to yeah. to the person for life you know yeah. forever um that's Aww, kind of sad though isn't that it that is sad yeah the American wake the, the Yeah well I suppose That's wake. when
2: people Were taking famine ships And they didn't even know If they'd survived the trip
1: Did you mm-hmm. ever hear Ever hear the term Paddy wagon You know the paddy wagon No You know, uh, the, you know the line Of tourist buses in Ireland Called yeah. paddy wagon Do but you know where that comes from
2: Oh, is it something about when they're rounding up all the drunken Irish people? What is it tell Yeah, me?
1: yeah. No, that's that's what my understanding was, that in the United States, um, when they went around, the police went around picking up the drunks, they yeah. they, they labeled it the paddy wagon. Yeah. Um, and apparently, I, I just did a little research. Um, it's a nickname given to a vehicle, yeah, police used to transport prisoners. The name came from the New York draft riots, 1863, that Tim was talking about. The Irish at the time were the poorest people in the city. When the draft was implemented, it had a provision for wealthier people to buy a waiver. The Irish rioted, and the term paddy wagon was coined. Now, ah, okay. what that fails to mention is the Irish rioted and lynched a bunch of black people. <laughs> but that's where that comes from. Even the word hooligan um, comes from the Irish surname hooligan. In the 1890s, um, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, um, it was first found in a British newspaper, which is interesting. Mm. Um, Police court r- reports in the summer of 1898 um, recorded the the term hooligan, and it was almost certainly from the variant form of the Irish surname, Hooligan. Mm.